the bottom line is that I would rather own a small portion of a large amount than a lot of nothing. Uh, so you know, through syndication, I've been able to leverage other people's you know capital and to, to to partner with me on deals, and that has enabled me to grow my wealth, and I've been able to grow their wealth, and we've both partnered, we've all partnered together to enjoy the journey, the, fr- the the journey of getting towards financial freedom or the journey of growing wealth. And so for me personally, syndication has just been one tool, uh, one tool in my tool belt to help me grow my wealth um, over time. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. G'day and welcome Freedom Hackers. Today we have a special guest, Mr. Reed Goosens. Uh, Reed has gone from zero to a quarter of a billion of real estate in just over 10 years. He's a super down to earth bloke, super humble, and he's been able to achieve this by using what is called syndication or AKA the art of raising capital for investments. Now he does it by specializing in real estate and, and multi multi-family apartments, Uh, but syndication can be used in many different ways, and and that's what we're going to dig into today. So stick with us. Uh, This one's going to go for about an hour today, and Reed is a very informational and informative guy, and there's a lot of juice right at the end there too. So stick with us. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Welcome back to Freedom Hack Radio, where you learn to work less, make more, and live free. And uh, super excited today to have a special guest join me, Mr. Reed Goosens. In 2012, Reed quit his job in Australia and moved halfway across the globe to the US to change his life and to chase a dream. With limited funds, no investing experience, and no credits, Reed went from purchasing a small duplex to growing his own real estate investing firm, Wildhorn Capital. Reed now syndicates large multifamily deals across the US, and he has achieved financial freedom and has taken control of his life. Reed is also host to the top-rated Investing in the U.S. podcast, and Reed is an international best-selling author of Investing in the U.S., the ultimate guide to U.S. real estate. Reed, welcome. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks for joining us today. Mate, um, do you want to start off by telling us how syndication helped you uh, get your first deal and what that was like? Yes, yeah, so syndication is a interesting. Um, it's an interesting way of looking at real estate and funding real estate or funding a business. And so, I guess from the fundamental point of view, we have to look at syndication of what it really means. And for those folks out there listening to this show for the first time or getting involved in real estate or, or, or any type of investing, syndication is really 
the marriage of one, the investor, and two, the business owner. So um, it's it's really raising money from other people, and and it's a win win scenario in, in both camps because investors get to be participate in deals that they may not necessarily have the time nor the energy to go out and find, and in, and then the business owners, I ask the real estate investors, get to fund our business using other people's money. Um, the analogy I always use is like a plane, right? A big Boeing seven four seven. If we wanted to, you know, if I Reed Goosens wanted to hire a Boeing 747 to get from LA to, to, to New York, it would cost me as an individual a lot to hire the entire plane. However, if I go and split that cost up with um, 200 other, other other passengers, we can all enjoy the, the, the journey, which is from point A to point B and in, in, in point A to point B in real estate really means um, from, from having no cash flow or no long-term wealth to a point where you get to that you, know, you can double make an uh, an equity multiple on your money, um, and then I- inside the plane we have you know the captain and the co-pilot, which are going to be the operators. You're going to have people in first class, which might be your K- uh, your, your GP or your key principals that are, that are helping the deal, and and then you have everyone back in coach who are enjoying the ride. They've they've been able to participate in this particular investment, um, but they also get to the benefits of investing in real estate along the way. So, the the plane analogy is really a great uh, painting of the picture of how syndication works. We're pulling investors' money together to go out and um, take down larger and and better quality deals. So yeah. And then, how did you get? Do you want to walk us through your first deal um, where the, where you syndicated the deal and bought other investors in? Um, yeah, no? yeah. So, so, so the first deal I was involved, and and we got maybe need to take a step back in terms of the. Um, how do you get credibility, right? And, and the whole thing, you can't just go out and start doing deals and syndicating deals like at a drop of a hat. And for me, I'd done a few deals on my own, you know, with my own money to give me the confidence to go off and do, um, you know, raise money from other people. And it really came down to a conversation I had with a very good friend of mine, Scott Reese. Um, I, I give him credit all the time on these, these podcasts. He's a Canadian fella. Uh, and in 2013, he came down to New York City, which is where I was living. And he told me about this, that he closed on a 70-unit deal and he walked me through the benefits of it. And I was like, how the hell did you close on 70 units? And he told me about how he pulled his friends and family's money together. He got seller carryback financing on the purchase and he was able to go, to go and take down a larger property than what he could individually do. And that was really a jaw-dropping moment in my life and, and something that I needed to go and emulate because I said, I said to myself, well, Scott can do it, then why can't I? And so really the, 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 the crux of it all was that I said to him, well, how did you get started? And he said, well, I needed, I got a mentor. And then, and, and that really was able to build the credibility, help him show, you know, navigate the, the, the different ropes in terms of um, the commercial real estate and how to go find deals and underwrite deals and negotiate deals. So that for me was my first turning point in going and finding uh, a mentor. And through that mentor, I was able to ride on his coattails to, to build my own credibility through building my own investor network. And I was able to then co-GP on a couple of big deals at the beginning, build that that, that credibility and confidence and, and give myself permission to go out and do bigger deals. And then from there, um, over a period of two or three years, doing small deal or doing portions of deals with other, other folks, I was then be able to branch out on my own and do uh, my own syndication. So it was a series of small steps, you know, with the first one being getting a mentor, the second one building your investor database through my podcast, Investing in the US. Um, third one being um, using other people's, the, the mentor's credibility to build my own credibility, um, doing a few small co-syndications with that mentor, and then eventually going off and breaking out and, and doing my own deals um, by myself. So really that was the, the evolution over a period of three or four years um, of learning, 
and going out and being successful in the syndication world. Awesome. And so like the first deal that you did, um, like what was it? Like what kind of deal was it? The, the first deal where you brought in somebody else's money um, to get the deal done? What, well, the, fir the, the first first deal was actually a little flip deal I did in Philadelphia and I brought my, my, my dad's money involved from Australia and he really helped. I think he came in 50-50 in terms of the down payment stuff. Um, so that was really the first taste of it. But, but in terms of the large multifamily syndication, it was um, working with my, my, um, my, my mentor. I found another gentleman who had, had found a really great deal, a smoking hot cracking deal, as I like to say. And I was able mm -hmm. to come, you know, introduce the two of those folks together. And then through that, I was able to also bring my own investors to the table. Now, at that stage, it was only a very small, you know, it was only a handful of investors. And, and it's sort of, it was a cold shower in terms of the lack of my depth of my investor database. Um, and this is back in 2014. And how I thought that I'd be able to go and approach, you know, 50 people and 20 of them were going to invest and I'm going to be raise, you know, a couple of million bucks. And, and, and really it came down to just only I was able to raise a couple of hundred thousand dollars because I didn't have the credibility or the, um, I guess, the, not the credit, one, the credibility, but two, also the trust with those investors to say, well, hey, this is a, this is a live deal. I've been talking to you guys for a little bit of time now, but it also solidified the fact that I maybe wasn't talking enough to my investors or, or giving them enough content to learn, to teach them about what I was actually doing. So some of them, you know, when I pitched this, this these deal to, to, I think I pitched it like 50 people. Out of those 50 people, a lot of people said no because it's it's and you really get a, a sense of how strong your investor database is when you have a live deal in front of you. And again, me going into this you know first deal, thinking a little bit of naivete, um, oh well, I'm gonna everyone's gonna say yes because I started this podcast. But but in reality, when my podcast was only been going for a couple of months, um, people really didn't know what I was doing or how I was doing. So my communication of what I was doing and how I was doing it to help them invest in better deals would needed to be fine-tuned right it needed to be i needed to hone my skills better so it was a great example of going out there testing the waters testing the depth of your investor database and taking lessons from that because i think out of the 50 people i approach only three people end up investing which is mm -hmm. it's a law of of you know the three percent rule but in saying that it also helped me say okay well i need to double down on the podcast i need to double down on my communication with investors i need to double down on what is the issues that i'm missing here what are the questions why don't people feel comfortable investing with me alongside me uh, and, and really going and trying to um, double down on making sure those holes are filled in my investment um, business so so yeah so in your first deal, when you did it, you didn't have the credibility. You hadn't like built yourself as like a thought leader or a key person of influence. So you kind of like reached out. This is the first deal you did with your dad. You, you reached out probably like family and friends because they're, you, yep. they're the people that you didn't necessarily have to have credibility in real estate with. They knew you and for your integrity and they knew that, hey, like, you know, I want to do this deal with Reed. Is that, was that That's exactly much correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so friends and family are definitely going to be the, the, the folks who are going to invest in you first and foremost when when you do start venturing down this world of raising money to do more real estate deals, whether it be flipping or buying mobile home parks or, you know, buying multifamily. And so to your point, I was like, yeah, they I've already had an established credibility with these with my friends and family because they've known me for many, many years. And that's a real 
the the thought leadership and the podcasting and the books and all that sort of stuff and the, the webinars that just helps other folks out in the in the atmosphere in the world get to know me better in order to bring down that you know that period of time to get to know one another from say 10 years to two years or a year or six months and so that's where you start with your friends and family and they know you they trust you because you've been friends and family with them for you know decades so they've been able to build that trust and transparency um but also they're taking a bet on you as well right they're making sure that you you know they're saying hey i can see you're wanting to be professional about it you're trying to go out and make this thing happen and i and i back you first and foremost and so the big and most important thing is when you do get started in, in real estate syndication or raising capital from other people is that the deal kind of comes secondary secondary it's actually the, the, the you as a sponsor, you as a person who they want to invest in. And if they trust and like you, then they're going to invest in you. And the deal is kind of comes, sits in, in the back the back seat. It's still important, but they want to make sure that they know who they're investing with. And that's why the, the trust and credibility with friends and family is so important to get you out of the gates um, and off, to, off the starting block, so to speak, uh, off in, in terms of doing your first deal. Yeah, yeah. And so like to take it back a couple of steps when you're the the reason that we are syndicating is because Reed's out there. He's he's wants to get these deals done, but he wants to he doesn't have the capital to get all of these deals done. And so he wants to bring in other investors who have got money who don't have the experience or the get go that Reed has to go out there and find deals and put them together and manage them. And that's like a good teamwork together. You guys team up, right? Right. So you went from doing your deal with your dad and then you moved on to doing much larger deals. Like first deal was like single family. Like what was the purchase price on that one? Like 120 grand, and we put in uh, another 200 thousand dollars, and you know, for and then sold it for I think 400. It was a uh, two story. We added a third story. It was a row house in in Philadelphia that um didn't didn't go the best, but it was it was a good lesson learned in in flipping houses. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we always learn a lot from our first deals. And, uh, but then you took like a massive, gigantic leap, right? You went from a single family home or, and, and then you, what was your next deal? What did that look like? Well, that was a 250 unit for syndication deal. And there was, a, there was a definitely a delta between a time period, I should say, between doing that flip and doing that big first 250 unit deal. And again, I was only a small portion of that two, big 250 unit deal. It took a lot of different people, one you know, people bring in the, my, my friend who brought the deal to the table, my, my mentor helping raise the majority of the capital. Um, and we were sort of all putting our skill sets into the pot, into the, the, the soup, so to, so, so to say, and, and really splitting up the roles and responsibilities in order to get this bigger deal done. And that's the real crux of it is that syndication when it comes to large scale realist, commercial real estate is that you're not going to be able to do it all yourself. Um, if you can, fantastic. But the, the majority of us need help from other people, you know, finding the deal, underwriting the deal, asset management, raising capital, dealing with the banks, um, loan guarantors. Like there's so many different facets to closing on large deals that you need to make sure that you have teams, uh, people in your team or on your bench um, or in the, the general partnership that can, that can satisfy individual needs of that particular deal. Um, so yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a gigantic leap. But again, I used it with some sort of training wheels because I had the mentor to help to, there to help me show, guide the way and, and, and we, we figured it out together. So again, going back to the, the soup analogy, we all were able to put our skills into a, into a big pot and mm -hmm. able to go and get the deal done um, and get it across the line. 
I totally agree. You know, in, investing is a team sport. You know, I've syndicated deals. I, I got my deals together by putting a team together. There's no way I would have been able to have done it myself or had the momentum or growth that I've had in my businesses uh, by doing it myself. Um, so how, like you said, it was 250 units, that deal. Like what was roughly the purchase price on that one? Uh, that was, I think it was a little bit of in the $14 million range. It was like a seven cap. Like this is back in 2014, early 2015. So it was in Houston, Texas and it there was blood on the street definitely. But it, looking back on that deal, it was like, wow, seven cap. That's for a 2000 built uh, multifamily deal. So it was, I can't, mm -hmm. you know, do the math on that, you know, 14 million divided by 250, whatever that works out to be. So, um, and I think the guys still own it today. Um, and when I say the guys, I'm talking about um, Joe and Frank at Ashcroft Capital. So it's, uh, I think they still own it. So it's, it's, it's been one of those deals that I'm sure is done, is done very, very well for investors, done very, very well for the, for, for Joe and Frank, uh, who, who are the lead syndicators on that deal. And, um, it's just a cracking, smoking hot deal. And that, that's the other thing is like when you do have a great deal, um, it's trying to convince other people that, that you've you've got a great deal and you're not just selling snake oil. <laughs> and so that's the whole point point of making sure that your pitch is right, right. You're, you've, you've done enough grooming of your investor database to know that know what to expect when you do present them a deal. And all those things were the lessons that I learned from when I did the first deal that I maybe needed some help or I had some um, maybe some holes in my business that I needed to plug because I didn't I didn't go and raise a ton of money on the first deal because of those elements that maybe I need to work on a little bit more. Yeah, sure. And um, I mean, that's a pretty impressive jump that you've done there from the first deal to the second deal. And, um, you know, you specialize as a multifamily apartment owner operator and you put deals together. Um, I, I use syndication on the mobile home park side of things. Like what other things can we use syndication for? Like, does it just have to be real estate? Or yeah, what, yeah, very, very good question to tee that one up. Like the whole, when I pitch syndication to people, like it's really um, think of Facebook or Google or the Zuckerbergs of the world, they weren't just sitting on a pile of cash when they came up with the idea of, of Facebook, for example. They needed to go and raise money from outsiders who, who believed in the deal or in the business plan, which happened to be Facebook at the time. And they were able to fund the deal to get it off, you know, from an idea into an actual business model, into a plan, uh, into an operating business that makes profits. The same thing applies with real estate. So no, you don't need, it doesn't need to be applied to real estate. You can apply it to any business that has a PL, right? Or, or any idea, a startup um, that you need outside capital because you yourself as the founder or the idea or the thought leader may not necessarily, you're not just sitting on a pile of cash. Uh, and that's that's the beauty of, of going out and raising money from other people is that these other folks can get involved in ideas or businesses or real estate that they might not have come up with the idea. They might not be exposed to those types of um, investment opportunities. And it's a win-win situation for, for the, the thought leader or the business owner and the investors who, who come along for the ride. So you can really use it like you can use it in real estate, outside of real estate, in different investments, starting up businesses. It's just a way to match um, an opportunity, an investment opportunity with investors and like, put it together and, and teamwork it. It's, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a partnership. Investors, business owner coming together, forming a partnership. That's all it is. Okay. So then, I mean, how easy is it to syndicate an investment or a deal? Like, how does it work? 
Well, the, the you have to set up your legal paperwork. Now you've got to de determine if the investors are limited partners or they're voting members, and it depends on the business or the deal that you're working with. That you know, some you know, for example, early early uh, investors in Facebook, for example, probably were voting members, right? Because they, it was this idea. They had nothing. It, there was no actual revenue being generated from it. It wasn't a business, so they could be voting members. However, on the real estate side, if you buy an existing asset. You know, you want it. You're gonna. The investors are gonna be probably more limited partners because um, your the limited partners are investing in a tried and true uh, multifamily or real estate operator, and they're investing with them because they know what they're doing. So it really depends on what the business is, what the deal is specifically, and and how how you go and structure that deal is really dependent on a deal by deal basis. In the real estate world, um, you, we have private placement memorandums, you're offering a security. So you need to go, you know, make sure you're SEC compliant with how you approach investors and how investors are then invest in the deal in terms of um, the risks involved and, and the disclosures that you give to those people. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of the structure and how investors get paid, again, it can really vary from deal to deal and it depends on the sponsor. It depends on the business owner. Uh, and it depends on what the the deal itself can actually um, you know produce in terms of cash flow or in terms of um, equity multiple or um, profits at the end when you do sell it. So again, in the multifamily space, we offer pref returns, preferred returns, and cash flow. But if you're flipping houses, well, you can't shoot off any cash flow during the time that you're flipping it. So you're really probably going to look at more of an equity multiple on the back end. That if someone invests a hundred thousand dollars, and you're going to give them back hundred and fifty. It just depends on the deal. So um, it's it's very much deal specific. So you pretty much specialize in doing large deals these days. I mean, you're doing like 200 unit plus multifamily mm -hmm. apartment deals. And the way you structure your deals um, is with limited partners, right? Correct. And so in that scenario, it goes back to where you're, you're connecting with an SEC attorney and you are getting all of the documentation drafted up and you're having like a private pl placement memorandum and Correct. subscription agreements and everything like that. And I want to talk more about that in a minute. And if we were to talk to people who are doing maybe a smaller deal, maybe they're doing a fix and flip, or maybe they're doing a startup business, you mentioned earlier something about uh, people having voting rights. Mm -hmm. um, what would that look like? And what would that setup look like? So at the end of the day, and again, I've got to caveat this with I'm not a security uh, attorney, but from my limited understanding is that if, if you have, if everyone has equal voting rights, you know, say you have, you know, three, three people, um, me, I found the deal. Bryce, you know, has got money, and we might have a third person who's a contractor. For example, if it's a sim simple flip deal, let's let's just use simplicity. Um, in that scenario where we all have equal voting rights, then it's just really more of a joint venture, and you, you're not offering a security. It's when you take away the voting right of of, of an investor, where they don't have an actual say at the table um, or, or a limited say at the table. Uh, that is when you're selling a security, and that's when. It, flicks over into um, the, the SEC, you know, Security Exchange Commission, uh, where they want to make sure you're not hoodwinking anyone um, and, and, you know, because you're, you make all the decisions and so you're just, you know, taking people's money and they have no no say in, the, in what happens to their money or what happens in the deal. Um, so that's, that's the private placement memorandum where you're offering a security into an investment. But on the other side, it's more of the just a simple JV and on smaller deals, 
JVs are, are, are cheaper to, to draft from a legal from a legal point of view. Um, they, they, they are simple in terms of the, the structure legally. Um, so you can just, it's a lot more fluid uh, and it's probably more suited to smaller deals because you don't have a bigger budget to go and spend $10,000 drafting a, a, a PPM, a private placement memorandum. So it really depends on, on, on how, what your deal looks like. And if you are on the smaller end, maybe you should talk to your attorney about more of a joint venture. If you have, if you have, say, only a small handful of partners, um, then a joint venture might be more appropriate for that particular deal. Okay, sure. So a joint venture is probably not going to cost you too much to put together. Like, how much would you estimate roughly? It would oh, cost good, good, good question. It's, you know, you're looking at a uh, an operating agreement being drafted by uh, an attorney who knows a little bit about real estate and a little bit about joint ventures. You know, anywhere from two to three thousand dollars, depending on the deal. Um, it sh- shouldn't cost you any more than that. If you have a good operating agreement with an, an all in, uh, all the say three or four parties involved in the specific deal, because it's a sim- simple flip. Excuse me. Um, they would then sign that operating agreement. They would sign all the the caveats, all the the different um, conflict resolutions, um, how profits are going to be split, uh, the roles and responsibilities, and that's really what the operating agreement would state. Uh, and they would then go ahead and sign uh, sign on the dotted line, and they would be assigned a percentage ownership in that particular entity, and thus that's a JV. So yeah. Awesome. Okay. So a couple of grand or less. And then once they've got that in place, if they're to sort of cut and paste that type of deal structure again and go back to the same attorney, there's probably an opportunity to get a bit of discount on that um, to structure the next one too. So that's probably one of the more cost-effective ways. Now, I mean, if you're putting together like a 14 million or 20 or $40 million multifamily apartment deal, um, what, what, what are the kinds of costs to put together one of those um, deals at, well, to, on the syndication side of things sure, and get sure. all the legal documents? It's, it's probably going to cost you in around twenty dollars to $25,000 um, for the legal documentation to be drafted for um, you're probably going and raising money from between you know, 50 to 200 investors, depending on how big they write their checks. Uh, so you're going to have to have the PPM, you're going to have to have the subscription agreement, you're going to have to have the organizational chart um, you know, vetted by uh, obviously your attorney, but also the bank in which you're borrowing the money from, uh, understanding where the limited partners sit in that organizational structure. So a lot of things go into uh, making sure that you have the right documentation. And and funny enough, like deal to deal that we've done, we've capped it at 25 Gs um, on, on on each deal. You know, our attorneys can't go over that. If they do, it's sort of they got to eat the cost. But then you've also got other sort of state filing fees with the SECs, you know, depending if you have um, different um, you know, investors from California or New York or Texas or um, Louisiana, like each individual state has their own SEC board and you, you have to then go and register with those individual states. And that, you know, can cost you a couple hundred bucks per state. Uh, some states are more expensive than others. Uh, so there's additional costs on top of just the, 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 the fund, the formation of the entities itself and the PPMs and um, the subscription agreements. So there is a lot involved and thus why when you, if you are going to go down the road of doing larger commercial deals, you need to have a good syndication attorney on your team in order to advise you on one, not only the cost, but the structure and how you approach investors and making sure you're not exposed to any violation of SEC rules. Okay. 
Awesome. Well, so that's you've you've explained like the smaller side of things and the larger side of things. And um, I need to I need to say it and reiterate. You know, here at Freedom Hack Radio, Radio, we're not financial advisors, CPAs, lawyers, or anything like that. It's it's up to you guys to get your own legal advice and tax advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we're simply providing educational information. Uh, but wouldn't you agree, Reed? Uh, it's I mean, you you get the deal, you put the deal together, and then you you go to your syndication attorney and they tell you what to do right exactly yep and that's yeah. the, the importance of having the right team members on your team and, and a syndication attorney is just one team member you know probably about five or six different team members that you need on your team in order to successfully close on a large commercial real estate uh, deal mm-hmm Excellent. So there's a lot of support that we can get there. We don't have to like know everything from A to Z about it. Um, our syndication attorney can really help us out with that and our CPA, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if someone is an investor and they've got, I don't know, maybe they've got like uh, $25,000, dollars $50,000 in the bank and they're looking to invest, um, what would getting involved in one of these types of investments look like and what would they need to bring to the table? Yeah, so first and foremost, you need to determine whether you're accredited or unaccredited investor. An accredited investor simply means um, it's it's a law or it's a, it's a rule. It's not a law. It's a guidance that the SEC has put out to say that an individual um, is of certain net worth and thus they can qualify as what's called an accredited investor. The SEC, I think as of today, which we're in 2020, it's still $200,000 for an individual. So if you earn $200,000 or more, or you and your partner, your your wife or your your, your life partner, earn three hundred thousand dollars or more. You're qualified as a what's called an accredited investor, um, or you can qualify if you don't have income, or you can qualify through net worth, uh, excluding the the primary residence that you live in. And if you if you're worth over a million bucks, then you're you're classed as an accredited investor. Any if you don't hit any of those milestones, then you are called an uh, an unaccredited investor or a sophisticated investor. You can still invest in certain deals, but it's only deals that are for 506B for Bravo. So um, where they can allow up to 35 non-accredited investors, but you have to know the sponsor. You have to have pre-established relationship with that sponsor. Um, so from a high level point of view, you want to determine if you are accredited or unaccredited. And if you are the unaccredited, uh, accredited means you can really go and invest with whoever you want because the SEC looks at you as like, well, you have, you're, you're of financial standing that if something was to go wrong, you could support yourself, you know, in your investments. Um, it wouldn't impact your day-to-day life because you, you have a net worth or you have really good income. Um, the unaccredited stuff you have to you have to be a bit more careful with because that, and the reason that they do the unaccredited is because the SEC doesn't want people going out just, you know, going and trying to scamming people out of money to invest in deals. And particularly those people who earn less than a certain amount, if they were, if the investment was to go bad, those folks would be maybe not as in a better, not in a as good a financial situation as the accredited folks. Uh, if and they could maybe not withstand a bad deal going south or a deal going south, I should say, and losing potentially investments. So that is why, as an individual, you need to one know if you're accredited or unaccredited. Two, you need to understand real estate syndication. I, I really harp on this. If you are thinking about getting involved in it. You, there's there's a lot of stuff you need to understand as an LP investor because who are good sponsors? What does a PPM look like? What is a PPM? How do I read a PPM? How do I read you know projections and financial statements? 
Um, all these things matter when you're an investor into a syndication because you need to make the right decisions for your money. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you can believe in what the sponsor is telling you, but you also need to vet it yourself and make sure that you're comfortable with it before making uh, an investment decision and signing on the dotted line. So really understanding the syndication world, really understanding if you're accredited or unaccredited, and then finding what deals that you fit into, whether you are accredited or unaccredited, um, that would really determine what path you can go down. So, yeah. Okay. And so let's say an investor knows whether they're accredited or accredited. And if they don't know, they can easily go to their CPA or accountant and their accountant can help them figure that out. Um, and then that'll let them know, well, they can get involved in the deals where you need to be accredited, or maybe they can get involved in deals where you could be sophisticated as well. Um, and so they've got some money, like how much money would in it would people typically need to have, at least in the real estate world and what you do, um, to get involved in a deal? And then how would that look like for them? Would would you like would you would you receive their money and then they'd get paid in like seven years mm -hmm. or would they get paid monthly or quarterly or like how would that work? Yeah. So the typical minimum investment is $50,000 um, cash uh, from investors in our deals. We offer preferred returns, which can range between six to 8% depending on the deal. And that preferred return means that you're just sitting in the capital stack uh, above the general partnership. So if, you know, for example, um, the first six percent of cash flow that comes out of the out of a deal, then that goes straight to the investor. They get paid first, and that's what's called a pref, a preferred return. Um, then, uh, typically, our deals are five to seven year holds, and we look to anywhere where we've got IRRs in between the twelve to sixteen percent range. Um, and you know, we're either you know trying to one point five to two times your money in a five to seven year you know type of time frame so that's roughly the the metrics we look for um, in our deals when we go hunting for deals but also also what we offer investors when they come invest with us and they get investors get paid with a preferred return they get paid out quarterly um, but again it depends on the deal and, and this that's just you know the beauty of real estate syndication is that you can you might have deals that may not pay any preferred return for the first couple of years because it needs to be rehabbed or it needs to get some more value added to it in order to get the cash flow up uh, you may not even have a pref uh, on it on certain deals. I know a lot of syndication deals don't offer prefs, um, but on how we structure, we tip, we typically structure it as seventy thirty. So seventy percent of the deal is owned by investors, and thirty percent of the deal is owned by the general partnership, and um, and that's that's really as simple as it as it gets from from the overall high level point of view. Uh, but again, you have to know that as a limited partner, there are other, there are other ways of structuring deals, and knowing what those other ways are, are really important to know that you are investing in the right deal. Like if you go and invest in a ground up construction deal, excuse me, on a large multifamily, there might be no payouts for two years because three years because you're, you're waiting for the, the, the property to be built before it then starts to cash flow. Um, so you need to understand all these different things. And, and if those two or three years of no payout, does that mean my preferred return recruits? Um, and all these questions you need to ask the sponsor in order to understand if you're making the right investment decision. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of different ways you can structure deals. There's a lot of different questions you can ask operators, but just know as a syndicate, as a limited partner wanting to get involved in a syndication, you just understand the little bits and basic information that you can go and pepper the, the sponsor with. So you, you do know that you're investing your money in the right place. 
So it sounds like there's a little bit um, to be learned if you're if you're going to be an operator and be putting these kinds of deals together and investments together, and also if you want to invest in these kinds of deals, um, it's not rocket science, but there is a little bit that we need to learn before we get involved. Correct. Yes. Um, and you actually educate people on that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, educate in a very loose sense. You know, I, I also educate mainly through my podcast, interviewing other people, experts about this type of stuff. Um, but also, you know, I've, we've done a couple of seminars, I think, together, you and I, about the whole process of, of doing deals and how we've structured deals in the past. Um, but yeah, the education piece is important. And so back to, you know, finding a mentor or a business coach, even if you are a limited partner, there, there are plenty of folks out there who do that um, are in the space who, who, educate people on the benefits of investing in real estate syndications. Um, so just all I say is align yourself with people that you like, trust, and want to do business with. That's all I can say. And then that's, and hopefully they teach you the right information that you can go out and be successful in real estate syndication. You know what investments to get involved with, whether you're on the operation side or you're on the uh, limited partnership side. Um, there's plenty of folks out there. Me personally, I don't do the education as much anymore because it just doesn't, it doesn't, I'm a, I'm an operator. I own I own deals, and so I make I make money when I when I do deals. So not when I necessarily educate people. Uh, I love you know I'm I'm a, I'm a resource for for folks if they want to call me. Like I know with this COVID nineteen stuff, we've had a lot of investors reach out wanting to talk to me about how we're managing the the this we'll call crisis, um, and that's where I'm available to educate folks. It doesn't cost them anything, but they're they're investors in our deals and making sure that they um they're aware of the issue, the issues and how we're dealing with them, making sure we're trying to lim limit the the downside um if this you know particular COVID nineteen drags on for a period of time. But that's just an example of how we as at Wildhorn Capital educate our current investors on what what are the you know sort of trying to be the industry best practice of, of trying to manage the, these crises moving forward. So so yeah. Sure. And how long, like going from knowing nothing until being ready to invest in a deal or being ready to um, understand the fundamentals of syndication so that they could go out there and put a deal together? Like how long would that roughly take? Oh, depends. You know, it, it can take you, if you're a quick learner, six months. Um, if you're, you know, it takes a little bit longer, uh, 12, to two, 12, 12 to 24 months. Like it, it really depends on on if you're really adamant about getting your money working for you, whether it be in passively investing in a deal or being an operator. Um, so understanding the, the, the ins and outs of real estate syndication can, can be quite a short learning time frame if you're really, really focused on it, but it can also be a long period of time. It's like anything, you know, you'll know in yourself when you're ready to go out and make decisions because if you're getting, if you're asking the same questions and you're getting the same answers back and you can start repeating those answers without even knowing it, then I think you're at a point where you can you can maybe go off and start investing in deals uh, because you've got to the point where your brain, your subconscious brain knows exactly what a prep is or exactly what the structure is or exactly what you need to sign or exactly how to set it up properly. And that is when you know in yourself you're ready to go and invest. Before that, you know, don't don't be jumping into the uh, uh, into the deep end too quickly. <laughs> Sure. And so there's there's probably some of you out there listening going, hey, I never knew about syndication or these types of deals, but I'm pretty well versed in investments. And so like you're, you're probably going to fast track to being able to get involved 100%. in those kinds of 100%. deals. Yep. Um, it really depends on what your background is. So Reed, tell us, mate, how has syndication helped you gain freedom in your life? And what does that look like for you now? Yeah. So well, the, the whole syndication is like the, the 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 bottom line is that I would rather own a small portion of a large amount than a lot of nothing, 
so you know, through syndication, I've been able to leverage other people's you know capital and to 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 partner with me on deals, and that has enabled me to grow my wealth, and I've been able to grow their wealth, and we've both partnered, we've all partnered together to enjoy the journey, the fr- the, the journey of getting towards financial freedom or the journey of growing wealth. And so for me personally, syndication has just been one tool, uh, one tool in my tool belt to help me grow my wealth um, over time. And it's taken many, many years. Like, don't get me wrong. This is, you know, the real estate syndication I first heard about back in 2012 when I was sitting in 2020. So eight years later, um, I now currently run um, Wildhorn Capital. Uh, I work for myself. I'm no longer, you know, working for someone else. Uh, and and I'm able to, quote unquote, have financial freedom because I can, you know, decide what I do with my time, when I work, um, where I work from, and making sure that I'm overseeing my, my deals and investments um, really wherever, wherever my laptop is. So really being focused on having a, a freedom lifestyle in terms of uh, what, I, what I call life by design. And, um, and I've been very intentional about growing the business in and around that uh, that life by design sort of uh, analogy and, and, and really, really focused on a sustained growth when we buy deals, um, not just going out and buying every single deal, but just buying, you know, two to three deals a year and, and just slowly adding to the portfolio and bringing in systems and, and making sure that I can run the business from LA because most of my deals are actually in Texas, but I live in LA. Uh, I travel a lot uh, as well. So it's uh, it's, a, it's enabled me to do so much with my life, take control of my time and not have to exchange my time for, for money, uh, which is like, a, which is a W2 job. So, so yeah. So it's obviously like created massive uh, abundance for you on the wealth side of things, and that's given you freedom. So what has that translated into for you over the last 12 months? What's some of the highlights stuff you've been able to do um, because of the lifestyle that you've created? Well, I think you've got to also look at, you know, for me personally, and this is more being a vulnerable side of me, is that for many, many years, it was I was working for someone else. I, I, my background's in structural engineering. I was I moved to the United States as a structural engineer, transitioned into working for a developer whilst doing deals on the side. And you know, real estate syndication was really my side hustle for a long period of time. Doing podcasts was my side hustle. So very, for a long, long period of time, the North Star was financial freedom, or or at least working for myself, being my own boss. Because you know, when you run a real estate investment company, you never actually passive <laughs> it needs constant uh it's like a big machine you need to constantly be servicing it all the time but what so, so for a long period of time the north star was to, to leave a day job was to, to to make enough money from my side hustle to then quit and go and do my side hustle as a full-time you know employment job uh, now it's you know when you've worked so hard or oh, i've worked so hard in the last seven to eight years you know 80 90 100 hour weeks um working a full-time job then coming home and working on the weekends the North Star changes obviously a very bit and you get more time back uh, in your week. And so what do you do with that time has been a real, um, not necessarily struggle, but a, a challenge for me now as I've transitioned into being the CEO of my company and making sure that I'm running the assets correctly, but also now focusing on where does the ship want to sail to? What's my new North Star for the business? Uh, and for my life, and for my health, and for my wealth, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's really where we've had to cha- I've had to change my thinking around where before it was just reacting all the time because you're working so much to now having the freedom, the time freedom uh, to think about where I really want to go in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Where does this company want to go? Where do I want to go personally? Um, so just recently in, in the last 12 months, I've done a lot of travel. I went to the Rugby World Cup in Japan because I'm a huge rugby nut. Wow. Uh, I, I, went to, I finally was able to go on my, my honeymoon at the beginning of 2019 uh, to the Philippines. Um, I've also went back, went back to Australia a bunch of times to, to, to check on my family because I'm from Australia. 
And for me, travel is really the the crux of it all. I do what I do to have time freedom to go traveling and experience new cultures. Um, I love experiencing new cultures. I love seeing how other people live. It broadens the mind. It takes the blinkers off. And it helps me be a better person and a better leader and a better CEO and a better um, entrepreneur. So um, all those things. I also love surfing. I'm, I was supposed to be going on a surfing trip to Bali this year, but I think with COVID-19, I will not be going. Um, but oh, no. yeah, just just really doubling down on other pillars in my life that are not just wealth related or business related, you know, love, um, happiness, um, health is really important to me. So making sure all those pillars are being fulfilled and and also then making sure that I'm spending more time is what I call in the black time. Black time meaning time where I can be the CEO and think about where this where this ship is going to rather than working in the blue time, which is more like the day-to-day and the operations and the manufacturing of, of, the, of the business uh, itself. So trying to not divorce myself, but trying to make, create separation, bring in systems, bring employees, um, and really have a portfolio of, of deals that I'm really proud of, uh, and my investors are really proud of. So that's that's really where what I've you know been able to achieve in both my mindset and and the way the way in which we're steering the ship towards the the, the near future and the long term future. So yeah. So it it sounds like this path of freedom that you've created through real estate investing has allowed you to quit the day job that you have, work in an industry where you feel really satisfied and not only satisfied in that industry, but now you're in a position within your businesses where you're doing the critical stuff that you want to do mm-hmm. and you're not stuck stuck doing like the day-to-day grind. And that gives you the opportunity to go out there and spend time with like friends and family in Australia and America and traveling all over the place. And that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. It's cool. It, trust me, it doesn't, it's, it's, you know, the, the number one bottleneck in anyone's business is, is the entrepreneur, right? You letting go and, and having enough uh, runway to, to, to bring on employees. And that's definitely in the next six to 12 months what we're focused on at Wild Horn Capital is bringing on some more people to support the business. Now we've got to a certain revenue, certain size. We do need to bring on the um, the CFO. We do need to bring on some asset managers and some full-time underwriters and, and, and help just build out this system a bit better in order for myself and my business partner, Andrew, to again, focus more on the black time and, and really where, where we're going as, as a company and as an organization. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of, you know, still a lot of work, um, but it's, it's been really gratifying to build something from nothing and, and know that you can roll up the sleeves and do every single bit, every single element in your business I can do, but it's, it's about learning to let go of those elements that you don't like doing and getting someone better in, in to do those elements. So, um, so the business can still be successful and still move forward. And what's been some of your biggest challenges or the biggest challenges you've had as you're growing with all of this? Yeah, look, I think, well, one of the, the I'll say not challenges, um, challenges I see in other people and the benefits of me having a podcast for so long is that I can see some of the challenges that other entrepreneurs face. And what I see very much a common thread in, in a lot of startups and a lot of businesses that are growing, are people get too far out over their skis and want to replace themselves too quickly when the revenue might not necessarily be there to support it. Um, so it's really, for Andrew and I, it's a, I talked about sustained growth before. Um, we we have worked really hard in the last couple of years. We could have bring on, brought on more people and we maybe should have and sooner, um, but also given now we're in COVID-19, we're very thankful that we don't have office space. We don't have overhead. We don't have, you know, six figures worth of payroll. Um, we don't have all these things that that 
other businesses have gone out and acquired really quickly because they've grown really quickly, we've been more that's a slow and steady wins the race. Um, now, it's been more work for me, but I know as we start to build that what's called runway of revenue, we can start, Andrew and I can start you know, outsource, not outsourcing, but bringing on folks that can maybe replace us in the in the day-to-day of the business um, so we can, again, focus on other things. So it's, it, it is, that has been a challenge in itself to have the mindset to stop and build the systems um, in order to help the business be more, um, have a better foundation um, and be more sustainable in the long term rather than just reacting in the day-to-day. And sometimes as entrepreneurs and, and founders of businesses, you can get stuck in the doing and putting out fires rather than in, you know, being more focused on the planning side of it. So that's probably been the, the biggest challenge. It's been, a, it's been a gift that it's been a challenge, but it's also now getting to a point where it's becoming a hindrance. And, and I want to now, we're getting to eight, nine deals 2,000 units, um, I need help, right, in the asset management. So it's sort of looking to replace myself and with, with, with folks who um, can, can do the can do just as good a job as I can. Sounds like you've got some pretty good quality problems to be dealing with, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, mate, what's got you feeling the most gratitude today? Mate, I think, you know, I, when I, it goes back to that uh, – the North Star. When when I was able to finally quit my job a couple of years ago, for the for, for and, and still today, like I get shivers down my spine thinking that I'm so happy that I'm not working for someone else. And I, I had such an incredible life or a career working uh, in corporate America, working for a developer for three or four years, and um, they've they've laid some incredible foundations on. I was able to experience firsthand how a, a true big real estate investment company works. Um, really in the ground up construction space here in Los Angeles. And, and, I, and I give so much gratitude for those people to show me, but I'm also very happy, I'm, gratitude that I was able to put a goal out there of leaving and becoming my own boss at some point in the future and achieving that. And I just, I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity to go and chase my goals. Not everyone has the opportunity to do that. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the curiosity to go out and think about stuff differently and want to challenge myself to go out and be better, whether that be from an entrepreneur point of view or a better husband or a better son or a better, you know, per, you know, better kind human being to others. You know, all these, I, I have that constant, um, not hustle, but constant um, curiosity to want to continue to do that. So I'm really grateful for those that can, that continues to drive me day in, day out. And, and I've been able to take control of my life um, in the best way possible and just would never look back right now. Like right now sitting here at 34 years of age, I'm pretty, pretty smitten. So, so yeah. So you're 34 years of age. That's awesome, mate. That's so cool. You know, I definitely take my hat off to you for all the achievements you've made and how much drive you've had and the position you've put yourself in and, and what that's not just what that's created for you, but what it's created for so many other people around you, um, in your life and your investors. And it's like, it's so awesome when you, when you take on a path like this, you get to like, um, add magic into so many other people's lives. Mm. And, um, mate, I also love hearing that you, your office where you're at right Right now it's right near the beach isn't it so it is you can right just like throw on your wetsuit and go for a bit of a surf well yeah if, if it wasn't COVID 19 uh yes uh i know the other day or about two weeks ago i went to go to go for a surf and the police were kicking people out of out of the water but it's it is you know the office space i do i do share with a, another buddy of mine who who you know jason muller um he is no one's here right now uh, so i've been coming down every day to keep me some sort of sanity as we're supposed to be locked mm-hmm. down uh, but yeah it is really nice to to 
um, be working near the beach. It's about a 35, 40 minute drive from where I live, but it's also that, um, uh, what's that? Not, not foreshadowing that what the word where you, 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 I come down here because I want to live down here eventually. Right. I want to be in the space where my head, my subconscious wants me to live down here. So I spend more time down here. Okay. Well, I'm at my office down here. I will go for a walk and get to the cafe and get some lunch. Okay. Well, maybe I'll look at a house down here eventually. You know, like there's all these things that the subconscious can help you with in terms of achieving your goals. And that's really why I come down here and why I love this particular office, office location. So yeah. You're manifesting. Manifesting. That's it. That's what I was looking for the word manifesting. Beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome, mate. And um, so, so you've written, um, like you've written a couple of books now. Um, you've got the um, the investing in the US, uh, the ultimate guide to US real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also co-authored a book about financial freedom with real estate mates. You, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do, you, do you want to tell us a little bit more about those books? Yeah. So, look, the the, the first book is really. Um, it, it, so, so you got to ask yourself, why do you, why do you write a book? Okay, well, I've got a cool story to tell. Well, my cool story is that I backed myself and moved halfway across the world, and you know, gave it a, gave it a crack here in the United States, and really didn't worry about the down the downfall. And, and you know, my whole drive within me as a human being is that I. Um, I, I fear regret. You know, you know, I would hate to have w- wake up when I'm 60 or 70 years of age and go, "Geez, I wish I moved to move to the United States back in 2012." Um, and so that that really has driven me as a, as a human being, and and driven my life to ask questions, to be curious, to try and knock on doors and walk through different new doors that open up in front of me. Um, and through that, I was able to that story. I was able to create the podcast, investing in the US, because I was here in the US looking at real estate deals and seeing how incredible these real estate deals were compared to my home country or our home country and re- really realizing that I needed to share that story with someone else or needed to share my journey with someone else. And that was where the podcast came from. And over a period of time, that content from that podcast, I was able to create the book and that book was just another form of a digital asset that I can use to leverage to educate people um, about what I do in terms of trying to you know find investors if they're interested in, in what I have to say. And really act as a business card. So that was what the first book was about. The second book, obviously, you, you're very much involved with, and uh, it was the you know the culmination of uh, us eight Aussies coming together because we all had a common value that we were from Australia, and we made the we made the pilgrimage across the ditch, as we like to say, and we created financial freedom through a, a form of real estate here in the United States. And it was just really sharing that story with other folks, um, and hopefully those 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 stories that we share through the different books inspires people and that's all we you know really want to do you don't make a lot of money out of selling books you you do it to inspire other people you do it to make change in people's lives you do it to educate and so yeah the the books came out of ideas knowing that i needed more digital assets to in my business to to help spread my word i spread the word of what i'm trying to to do and and hopefully people can enjoy a good read along the way because they enjoyed the story that i have to say or we had to say particularly in the second book so so yeah and and what would be the core message of each book well, I, I guess the core message on both books, if you look truly at it, is is to back yourself. You know, to back your decisions that you make. Like my the first book is really in an, is around about me making that decision when I was in 2011 to quit my day job in Australia, my my well paid civil engineering job, and to move halfway across the world because I had an itch that I wanted to live in the United States, and all I wanted to do was just be an expat for a couple of years in New York City, and all of a sudden, ten years later, I am living this dream, talking about a podcast, and the beauty of doing this is that you you learn to back yourself and and the thing is if you don't if you can't back yourself then who the hell can you back 
Um, and, and coupled with that sort of the fear of regret um, really was as enabling to push me forward. And I know myself that, and I know a lot of people probably listening to this podcast, um, hate uncertainty. I'm the opposite. I, I thrive on uncertainty. I thrive on not knowing what the future holds because I picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad over 10 years ago. I had no idea that 10 years later um, at the age of 34 that I'd be sitting here talking about 2,000 mm-hmm. units and, and you know financial freedom and all that sort of stuff. I knew that I wanted to be my own boss when I picked up the book, but I didn't know how that was going to happen. And so the, the, the adage that, that Tony Robbins or the, the saying that Tony Robbins says is that you can overestimate what you can achieve in a year but you can underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. And that's so important to, to who I am and how I'm driven. And even moving forward into the next chapter of my life or the next 10 years is that let go of the, the, the sort of, I need to be here by the time I'm 42 and just maybe have some targets out there, but really enjoying life today because you only do live one life. And I know I'm in the prime of my life and, and through some personal loss, I've been able to realize that life is precious and life is special. And so we do all of this stuff to grind and to build businesses and to create financial freedom, but we do it because we want to spend more time with our loved ones. We want to spend more time doing our hobbies and, and real estate investing is just a vehicle that we use to get there. Um, so, so both books are really the message is one about backing yourself, but also about understanding the, the true value of time and the true value of what makes people tick as human beings. And, and we just happen to have used the vehicle of real estate to achieve that time freedom. So, so yeah. Thanks, mate. Thanks for sharing. And for all of you listening or watching, we're actually going to have links at the uh, at the bottom of the YouTube channel uh, where you can access these books. And just so people can sort of like understand sort of where you came from to where you're at, like you started basically with like no knowledge of real estate. You weren't like an, an essentially an entrepreneur or like a business guy. Um, and you were you were even like traveling in Europe and like, you know, working as a deckhand and like cleaning boats and and just having sort of like some fun in life as young people do and as we do as Australians traveling the world. And then fast forward, um, I mean, for what, like less than 10 years later, you've got like how many years later? Yeah, well, t- uh, 2009 was when I picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, yeah. So, you know, 10, 11 years later. Uh, nine, 11 19, years later? 1,900 and, units, you know. It's <laughs> 1900 units and just so like listeners can understand what that means like what's the value of like 1900 units uh, over a quarter roughly? billion over a quarter billion so so like so okay. like that's it'd be nuts to say out loud like and it's sort of it's i say it with a little bit of sheepishness because i don't necessarily like it's proud i'm proud of it whatever but it's also something i never aspired to to go out and achieve like and that's the other thing is that when you do back yourself and you do go you are curious and you do scratch that itch that the human brain and the and the power of self uh, of will, willpower and, and drive, has, I've smashed all my goals and tenfold compared to what I maybe started off with when I first picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. So the 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 adage again of the decade, uh, not worrying about what the next decades holds, just in, enjoy the time today is is super important because I did not plan any of this. <laughs> so yeah. That's awesome, mate. You know, hats off to you. And you said you smashed your goals. Like, how do you value goal setting? Well, like, I, goal setting to me is so goals. Goals are weird, um, and I try to think of them more as targets now because, you know, it goes back to the adage of um, and the whole thing that 
and I'll just, I'll just come out and say, my mother passed away a couple of years back and I was at a stage in my life where I wasn't kind of where I am today and I kind of regret not being with her at her side. I was with her when she passed, but I was spending more time with her and, and you know, I was still working full time and juggling all the things. Um, and so that really has uh, propelled me to um, understand that it doesn't – goals are really timed, uh, are tied to a time where a target is out in the future. And, and someone said to me one time, they said, you know, when you're 80 years of age talking to your grandkids, does it really matter if you have 3,000 units in 2019 or 3,000 units in 2025? And the answer is it doesn't, as long as you're enjoying the journey along the way. And that's really something I've come as a human being in the last three to four years since my mum has passed to realize goals versus priorities versus targets. And it's super important to make sure you have them all in their right categories and how you approach them that when you have a goal and you have a timeline set to it, um, it can add stress, it can add, add anxiety. And, and, and maybe, you know, for example, financial freedom, it's a classic example. People who go out on this journey to try and retrieve financial freedom, they think they're going to do it in 12 or 24 months. Some people can, they're freaks. Most people of us, most of us can't. And so when you go out and tie a goal to a timeline and you don't achieve that goal in that timeline, your likelihood of quitting that is a lot higher than if you were had more of it as a target. Now, there's also the the, the other piece, the other side of the coin is the, the the push, right? The push of the the well, you want to get to financial freedom, the 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 the, the hating of the day job or, or changing the current financial status of where you're at. That still is a massive driving factor. But changing the way in which you approach goals, I approach goal setting and, and changing more to targets and priorities has really framed how I'm going to go and build uh, my business over the next ten to twelve years. Yeah. So, and so you're over the last 10 years, I'm assuming your priorities have changed, huh? Cause it was probably all like financial, financial in mm -hmm. the beginning. And now you're like talking about a lot of other things like family and, and like quality time with people and travel and surfing. And yeah, because it's it, at the end of the day, that's what I enjoy. And that's in a very basic fundamental things. But again, it goes back to the point of, and I've been guilty of it in the, in the past where I've taken a priority like the business and put it above my relationships with my wife, my family, my health. And, and knowing that I've, I, and through my podcast, I've interviewed so many people and you see so many people who are successful in business and it's one pillar of their life and they define themselves by that success but they have really bad other pillars, meaning they, their kids freaking hate them. They're on their third divorce. Their health is up the creek. Um, and and when that, if, if and when that business fails, well, the only way to go is down. So having other pillars in your life that you are more defined by, not just the business or not just the success you achieve from your business, um, is really changing the, the way you have a mindset about these other pillars and, and, and the way in which you carve up your time and what's important to you. So yes, it has changed over the last five, six years, but it's also come with personal loss. It's come with sacrifice. It's come with a lot of other strings attached to it. That is my journey. And it's, 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 you know, people look at themselves as they listen to this show and think about all the things that they've done in their life and their journey that they're on. And they need to also understand, well, what's important to them. And once you define that, you can really then go out and start to live your life on your terms. So, yeah. So on all of this, and I mean, we've talked about a lot today, um, for listeners out there, what would be the biggest advice you could give someone who's on their path to freedom in all of these areas of their life? Like what's the one biggest takeaway that you could share with them? Hmm. The one biggest takeaway I think is, and it's, it's a little corny, but it's, you know, um, 
and the, the old saying is like, what would you do? What would you go back and change? I think giving yourself permission, like so many people have this, and I meet so many people who are like, oh, I wish I did that, you know, got involved in real estate 20 years ago, or I wish I've done this. And it's like, screw that type of mindset. You're at the stage in your life, and if you're now coming to the point where you're listening to this podcast or you're wanting to explore financial freedom or real estate syndications or investing in real estate or passive income, whatever it might be, and you're kicking yourself because you didn't realize this sooner, well, that's stop kicking yourself. It's your journey. It's You're at this point in your life for a reason, and that's okay. Right. And being giving yourself permission that that's okay that you're at this point in your life with that journey. And it might only be start, it might be starting later, later than some other folks. Don't compare yourself to anyone else and run your own bloody race because that is the most important thing in life. Because when you start comparing yourself to other people, you will start to have anxieties. You'll start to, you'll start to try and judge other folks. And so that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give to other people is run your own race. That's awesome advice. And like everybody's path is different. Everyone mm -hmm. has different priorities. Everyone's had a different past. It's like the only thing that matters is whatever matters to them, really. Right. That's exactly that's the most important thing. That's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, you know, what it was like eleven years and you went from zero to like quarter billion under un, real estate under a management. Um, you live in large, you live in free. It's a super big inspiration. Reed, how how can people continue the conversation with you? Mate, pretty easy. You can just head to my website which is reedgoosens.com that's r-e-e-d-g-o-o-s-s-e-n-s -E -E -S -S -E and um for any of your listeners who do come through la i'm always willing to meet up for a beer or you know coffee or lunch and you know just give me enough heads up but if you do come through la and you want to catch up and, and chat a bit of shop um you can email me at info at reedgoosens.com awesome there we go reed goosens the real deal down to earth top bloke <laughs> thanks for sharing with us mate thank you buddy you're doing an awesome job and uh, it was a really an honor to come and share my story with your listeners thanks mate much appreciation <laughs>